Good afternoon and welcome to Stories in Public Health. I'm your host, Emily Dyler, and we're once again at the lovely Macquarie University, and today I'm joined by Dr. Martine Biker, who's a launch lead, and he'll explain to us hopefully what that is when I speak with him at a pharmaceutical company. He did his training um, in Europe. He started with a Bachelor of Chemistry, um, followed by a Master's of Biochemistry and Immunology, and then specialised in his PhD in Immuno-Oncology, um, that was in the Netherlands. He then moved to Australia and he started his own company called um, From Science to Pharma, which he's going to talk to us a bit about today. Um, thank you for joining us, Martine. Thank you. Uh, so maybe you could just start with giving us a bit of backstory about how you first got into academia and what interested you in science. Um, I always was interested in science. Uh, I was a bit of a person asked uh, too many why questions. So why are these things? How does things work? Uh, so I always was interested in, in, in uh, finding things, um, how, how things work. Uh, I liked chemistry and biology in high school, and so it got me into uh, university. I studied chemistry uh, in university. I liked the biology side more than just uh, pure chemistry, so I went more into uh, biochemistry, biology, and that's how I got a bit of really in deep in in the deep science uh, area. Yeah. Um, And did my PC afterwards. And how did you come to Australia from your PhD? Um, actually, so actually in my uh, university, actually already sorry, my uh, high school, I was really interested to go overseas. I always wanted to go to the US. So that was one of my uh, one of my dreams. So when I was in uni uh, doing my masters, I wanted to do an internship overseas. I actually went to the US for nine months, San Diego, California. Uh, enjoyed it there. My girlfriend there, and then now wife, didn't enjoy it there much too much. She said, "Let's go back to the Netherlands." I said, "Good, happy to do my uh, PhD in the Netherlands." But yeah. remember, after my PhD, we're going overseas. So <laughs> compromise. <laughs> so when 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 the time was ticking uh, close to the end of my PhD, I said, "Honey, uh, we're uh, we're going." <laughs> I said, "No, yes, we're going." Um, so we had a bit of a it was actually, yeah, sounds horrible, but it was a bit of a, um, um, a striping down of the list. So US, more I said no. <laughs> she said, beautiful Canada. I said, it's too cold or it's French. And my French is not that good. So I wanted to have an English speaking country. She said, what about UK? I said, it's too close and too wet. So to be honest, then the two countries left was New Zealand and Australia. Um, so I actually went to New Zealand for a, a, a postdoc trip. Uh, not much research being done there, so right. that kind of was quickly off the list. Went to Melbourne, that I focused a lot on Melbourne because the, the WEHA had a lot of research that I was uh, accustomed to, uh, and ended up in Sydney uh, last minute because I was in Auckland for a conference uh, on my postdoc tour, saw two uh, interesting speakers, and, and actually booked my ticket last minute to go to Sydney. Oh, so that's how I ended up a year later in, in Sydney. Serendipitous. Yeah, and it was interesting when I, it was a funny feeling when I actually landed in Sydney uh, the f- during my postdoc trip, but it f- actually felt like I was, I just felt like I was home. So it was a funny feeling, I felt like oh, I've been here before. And a year later when actually I did move, it felt like I'm going home. So I don't know why it is, but it felt, it felt good from the, from the start and still. I'm here almost 10 years uh, in Sydney. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Yeah. I've travelled around a lot as well, yeah. and Sydney's the only place I've actually stayed. Yeah, it's a good place. So you came here, and probably we won't focus too much on your research because that's not what you're doing now. So you came here to study um, and do a postdoc Correct. or fellowship, um, but you sort of went down a different path yes. than most people. Could you maybe talk us through that? Um, yes. Um, so I did my postdoc. I always like science. I still like science. Uh, but I think during my postdoc, I realized that I don't like the bench work so much anymore. Uh, wasn't a good click, I think, between my pres- professor and myself. Um, didn't get the things I, I mean, it wasn't an enjoyable um, time. So 
my wife actually gave me a, an advertisement uh, for an MSL job, and I still have that advertisement uh, in my email box. Um, I really like talking about science, so I, I often like talking, um, having discussion about theories, how to do things, talking about um, experiments, but the actual six hours of in the mouse house, close to Tom, you're doing actual research was not really what I enjoyed as much after many years of uh, PhDs. Um, so she gave me that, that job advertisement and she said, okay, this is all about talking about science and engaging with people, uh, doctors, internal uh, stakeholders, external stakeholders, um, training people. So that's, that's excellent. So she said maybe something for you in two years time. So I thought, great. Uh, it was actually interesting. Looking back, I, it was on the date a year later I had the job, an MSL job. So it was actually serendipitous maybe that she uh, pointed me in the right direction. Yeah. Um, so the postdoc didn't go well. I was, it was three and a half years. I think it was one of the hardest time of my life. Uh, looking back at it, I'd, I'd rather not have done it, but it also kind of made me what I'm now, and it kind of got me out of it, research, which I'm kind of happy because I like my uh, my job in pharma uh, really well, a lot now. And just for people that don't know, because I didn't know this before I met mm-hmm. you, uh, what does MSL stand for? Sorry, Medical Science Liaison. Yeah, so MSL stands for Medical Science Liaison. So it's someone who liaises... Uh, for the company with a lot of the, most of the time just doctors, doctors, pharmacists, uh, um, head of pharmacy, head of uh, the department, sometimes nurses, but mainly what we call it HCPs, healthcare providers. So you work with, uh, you work with uh, the healthcare providers and trying to understand how they treat, when they treat, when not to treat, um, just all those interesting things that you need to know to launch a drug in the market um, to help them launch effectively. Um, those are the things you actually talk discuss with those uh, with this uh, healthcare professionals and you often do that based on the, the latest clinical data so there's a lot of clinical data coming out of clinical trials and you are seen as an MSL as the expert so you have that expert um, discussions with with the with the healthcare providers and, and get their insights into your data so that's kind of what an MSL is doing and how did you find the transition uh, it was interesting um, I remember it very vividly. I started on a Wednesday, which is kind of odd, but I think I wanted to have two days off. For no, no, I think I didn't want to. I didn't want to stay longer at, at at my place. I wanted to start. So <laughs> right. I think I finished on Tuesday and started on Wednesday because I wanted to start straight away. Um, I remember Wednesday very, very vividly. It was a great day, a great, great team. Um, I thought I can, I can stay here. This is, uh, this is a good place. But Thursday, I thought, okay, this is really nice. People are really nice and 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 um, uh, what's the comforting. And by Friday, I thought, okay, I'm never going to go back. I never, we'll, ne- we'll never look back. And by Friday, I was completely sold in pharma. It was different. Uh, what, what I, the, first, the biggest thing I think which was um, different for me is, is more the collaborative nature. As a scientist, you have collaboration, but it's often you on your own. You do stuff, you sometimes collaborate, or sometimes... It's, it's often more, what can I publish? And then you have help of other people. But it's not like you have a, a joint joint force that you want to um, solve something. And I think as, as in pharma, the first thing which I realized is that it, it's a lot more collaborative. You have a common goal in mind and that's helping the patient get better or, or, or inc- improve patient lives. And, and that was the biggest thing I, I noticed. And the second biggest thing is you're a mo- lot more pr- appreciated in pharma. They appreciate you for what you do. I remember, was it my first month or second month? I did something, I made a great overview of a presentation, I can't remember, something Something they, they thought was really great and they thanked me for, which I thought, great. Yeah. Um, they gave me a voucher for $150. I thought, wow, 
you're just paying my salary, right? So why yeah. do I get something extra? <laughs> uh, which is very unheard of, unheard of, I think, in academia. Yeah. That, that, that often, I think, during my postdoc, appreciation was hardly there. So that is, I think, already tough if you never hear you do something right. Uh, but they appreciate what you're doing and actually acknowledge it and, and give you a nice voucher of $150 to go, I don't know, go to the movies or go uh, go somewhere out for dinner. So there was there was a, a mind mind shift that, that you are appreciated for what you do and they see you as a smart person and, and can bring a lot of value to the team. So there was there was a nice surprise um, moving into pharma. Well, you do seem happy in your new role every I, time I, I speak really with you. <laughs> and so a step back from that, even before the job, which you now really enjoy, mm-hmm. how did you find actually getting into um, that kind of role? Was it very different from applying at a university or to an academic position? Yeah, definitely. So... Um, so I remember my ex- I remember a lot of things. That's good. <laughs> uh, even though I'm getting older, I still remember these things. Uh, I remember my my interview with my professor, which uh, for my postdoc, which was forty five minute. I think uh, the professor did most of the talking. The few questions I could slip in there, and, and then at the end it was okay. When can you start? And can you write a grant or a fellowship? That was the interview. But pharma is a lot different. So you have multiple rounds of interviews you have to present. You sometimes get very short notice on, especially as an MSL short notice on a clinical paper presentation. So sometimes it might be a day notice, so say here's the paper, make a like a journal club presentation um, and see you tomorrow, 24 hours later, and you have 15 minutes. And what do you have to present on it? A clinical paper. So they gave you the latest uh, clinical paper phase three trial from their drug, for And instance. you have to sort of critically appraise it. Yes, and, yeah. uh, so you can read an intro about the disease, and the incidents, and the paper, and you kind of have to make a, make a presentation out of it. But yeah. they give you 24 hours, so it's a, uh, um, a lot different than just talking to a professor for yeah. <laughs> 45 minutes. Also, the, 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 you often have a panel of two, three people, uh, different functions. So they might be commercial, medical, uh, so medical department, commercial department, sales department. So they ask you different kind of questions, a lot more behavioral questions, which I think pharma looks a lot more how you would fit in a team. While I think in research it's more like what can you bring, what techniques can you bring? Yeah. And, and you've probably seen as well, um, there's not always the most, um, how do I say it nicely? Um, not all the scientists are easy to interact with and, 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 <laughs> okay, and, and, yeah. and the team are often not built based on those uh, human um, emotional intelligence but more on the on their research capacity yeah. so that that's different in a, in a pharmaceutical environment they really look for the right fit in that in that team so a lot of more of those behavioral questions interview questions come up so a lot harder you might have two three four rounds of interviews presentations uh, competency question uh, questions uh, tests so not as easy so you have to do a lot more preparation. Yeah, and so that led you to found um, your um, your new company, yeah. um, from science to pharma, um, which is how I first came across you. Not that I'm leaving to go to pharma, <laughs> but um, could you maybe tell us a bit about your company and what you do? Yeah. So yeah, actually, uh, based on that, so when I moved myself, so it's maybe step back. It's quite difficult to move from academia into pharma, from science to pharma. Uh, into an MSL role because if you look at all the advertisement it says you need one or two years experience so it's a bit of a catch-22 how do you get experience if you can't get a job so a lot of people are disheartened by the fact that I can't apply because I don't have the experience so I managed to get in without pharmaceutical experience or any experience no MSL experience no pharma experience Uh, and a lot of people ask me a lot of old colleagues and friends how I managed to do that when I got in Um, so I kind of helped them coach them um, to to prepare for 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 their, their transition. So, having done it for a while, having done my MBA here at MGSM here for a year, 
I realized oh, maybe I can make something uh, business out of it. So that's what I did maybe two and a half, three years ago, I think. Um, started with just training, make a make a training package. Started with one person, uh, and along along the way, I just trained more people, adapted the training, more people, and at the end, I kind of put everything online. So it's now a fully online training program. That's a it's a global company uh, where we train and help people to maximize the chances of of transitioning from academia into uh, the pharmaceutical industry as an MSL. Yeah, and for people listening, what kind of skills do they need? Because I'm, I'm guessing it's probably not someone like me, an epidemiologist. It's more lab-based medical skills? Um, yes, yeah, so normally a lot of the companies and countries require people to have a terminal D degree, so a PhD, a PharmD, or an MD. So they want to have people with bio- biology kind of disease yeah. background. So, I mean, epidemiology. I actually have a friend of mine, I think he came from that epi side in the gully. Okay. Uh, but I spoke to, so I've got a chemistry background, but I've had people who wanted to go from chemistry, organic chemistry, uh, into pharma as an MSL. I think that's a bit of a challenge because you need to have a biological understanding, yeah. disease understanding. So people with a disease understanding would have a, a good um, good fit. Um, you don't have, that, don't have to have a specific clinical understanding. I mean, I didn't have that. I did have a disease background, which is more oncology slash immunology and the immune system. But it, it does help if you have a more specific disease-related background, so diabetes, cancer, uh, breast cancer. That will help you to get probably quicker up to speed into yeah. your MSL role. Um, other things, you need to not be afraid of approaching people or walking, talking to people. Um, um, my wife is a bit of an introvert, so she said, I would hate your job. And I, <laughs> she, she did a regulatory affairs job, which is a lot more behind the computer and less talking to people. And I said, I would probably hate your job. So it probably comes with a... A, a natural liking of talking to people so yeah. you shouldn't be too shy or too uh, too afraid of walking up to a professor at a conference and okay hi professor I just uh, emailed you last week just following up on the email and uh, would you have time to meet up next week if you're uh, afraid of doing that I mean of course I would be nervous doing that as well but I do it yeah. because you have to do it but if, you, if you're really scared of doing that it's probably not the best job yeah I'd be pretty scared of that I know so- from someone who has a podcast but <laughs> you're, you're, you're kind of yeah, I'm doing the computer right? yeah um, so one thing I wanted to touch on um, is a few things, um, but firstly is sort of that history or thinking in academia, sort of people talk about pharmaceutical companies as, you know, the dark side or, yes. you know, there's sometimes a bit of a negative connotation and I myself have been um, guilty of that and I think now with the state of... Oh, really? Yeah, sure, yeah. So I think with the, um, probably with the state of funding, but also being here at Macquarie, they have... Um, um, seem to have much more of a focus on um, working with industry and I'm just starting to see that you know people have all this knowledge and instead of them transitioning completely out of science to hopefully see other roles and it's something I want to touch on more in the podcast Mm -hmm. you know in future episodes so sorry that was a really long way of saying what what would your response to be to people that have that sort of negative attitude towards pharma I was guilty of that Uh, I I I can say that it's probably something that that is is told to you by other people it's like a, the atmosphere there so because you often see and you hear people talk ah oh, that person left because she he or she didn't have funding and therefore they kind of went to the uh, to the dark side of the industry and and i think and i was guilty of that as well uh I, I maybe i felt a bit better because i left academia i still had two years funding left so maybe it felt me make me feel a bit better but i was certainly um, um what's the word i, I did the same thing Looking back at it, I think it's just, um, yeah, not, not true. I think I might, I might want to say that probably the smarter people would move, but I, I would maybe offend people. Uh, I, I do see that, that a lot of people who move out, 
have a lot of skills I think that that work well in far in far more in industry and and um, it's not easy to move out it's not like okay it's, it's like a second so if, if you fail you go somewhere else so it's not like a, yeah. a fallback position I looking at the people who moved and are successful in the industry I see a lot of very smart people that um, probably didn't fit well in, in academia because they had other skills that would pr- probably be better uh, used somewhere else so I, I see a lot of smart people moved out so it's not a fallback position I think it's a and uh, people should not see like that I think there's a lot of opportunities and and I myself had discounted for a long time that, that just industry farming in general can be a very great place to uh, for a career and a lot of opportunities because in academia there's few opportunities little funding there's a bit of a hierarchical system there's a lot of PhDs a lot of postdocs a few group leader positions only one professor maybe at the top so you're all gonna kind of push through that little one door uh, and in pharma I think you have a lot more opportunities to grow a lot more support for you to grow training and they, they allow you to switch from different jobs so um, I think a lot more support to to grow your career um, that I haven't seen in academia okay and so you're now a launch lead not Correct. an MSL um, and as we were talking about before uh, the podcast started, I actually don't know what that is so could mm-hmm. you please let us know so you've obviously grown in the company yes. yeah so, so I used to be an MSL and then in uh, different companies and the MSL is really in the field, really trying to understand uh, what the doctors are doing, how they treat, understanding the treatment algorithms, the decisions they make, what they don't make, uh, understanding what new drugs coming to the market, market might have on their decision making, and understanding how the patients um, uh, are referred from one doctor to another, how they are diagnosed. So that's really an infield role, so you're uh, infield medical, they call it. So you're, you're seeing the doctors. As a launch lead, my role is, is uh, a lot more broader. So I have to work with a lot of internal stakeholders. So with regulatory, they try to get the drug approved by the regulators. With uh, market access and pricing, they try to get it reimbursed by the by the, the government. Uh, with the medical department, which are the MSLs, they, they try to uh, obtain the, the um, insights from the doctors. We have supply chain, so we have to make sure that all the supply chains are in place. So my role is more as, as, as a project manager and coordinator of all those functions to make sure that that drug actually comes to the market in time, um, um, involves marketing as well. So make sure that we get the drug to the market in time um, as fast as we can in the best way for the patient and for the doctors. Fantastic. So it's a bit one level up. And what would you say, sorry, I'm just going to jump around a bit That's here. Right. What would you say to other people? So the MS role, MSL role is very um, specific, but for other people in sort of public health or health-related fields, mm-hmm. do you think there are other opportunities in pharma or in sort of private industry that we're not looking at? And if people maybe sort of um, did a bit of research, there's yeah. other jobs they could sort of look at apart from just working in academia? Definitely. So, uh, and often um, a role that comes up often is, is sales, sales wrapping. So just... Um, a lot of people find it a dirty word, sales wrapping. Um, I, I might have thought the same thing. I'm not a salesperson, uh, but some people like it. It's, again, it's a lot of contact with, with, with people and the drugs become more interesting and more complex. So I think having a scientific background would be great. A CRA, Clinical Research Associate, you are a lot more involved in clinical trials. Oh, wow. So you're kind of raw, um, running with clinical trials. You have regulatory, uh, so you're trying to get the drug approved by the regulators. So that's what my wife used to do. A lot more paper-based and more analytical rather than, than talking. So yeah. themselves is probably more talking. The regulatory affairs person is a lot more um, office paper-based. Um, field application specialist. I think there's a lot of the, not, what's the word? Um, 
technical companies. They, for instance, you might have appliances, uh, gene sequencing machines. Uh, so it's more technical. So you you work a lot with the scientists. So you actually yeah. you go to the hospitals, you go to the research institute where they have those machines, and you as an ex scientist know I don't either know how to work with these machines or you have been trained to work with these machines, and you work with a, actually maybe your old colleagues actually that using those machines. So you can try to help them understand how to better uh, work with the machines, how to help them um, have solutions to their problems using those machines or the techniques they, they have uh, available. So I think field application specialist is an interesting role as well. Um, I think that's probably the, the, the few things that come up quickly to my mind that, that, that would help for scientists or people in that area. But there are definitely different opportunities out yes. there that we probably don't know about. I think a lot. Um, if I know anyone, anything coming up later on, I might, just might uh, We can pop it on the website. I guess one concern that I would have, I mean, I'm quite, I'm very happy in academia, but if I was going to transition, um, what would be the chances of coming back? Would that be a very difficult step, do you think? If you, I mean, you obviously love your job, but is you that a risk? You probably don't want to go back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a risk you never want to go back. Um, I don't, I haven't seen many people going back. Right. And I'm not sure if that's because they can't go back or that they don't want to go back. Yeah. The people I've all seen transition and, and support transition and coach transition into pharma. So that's that's what we focus on, just MSL job. Uh, no one wants to go back. They're all happy. So, so maybe there's an option to go back. I mean, I would love to be involved in, in uni teaching and maybe being, uh, having a, a professorship. That would be one of my dreams still. I always want to become a professor, so that's still on my list to do. Well, we have good links with different universities. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I might still, so I might still go back, but I'll probably in my view, so personally, I would not go fully back. Um, maybe have a bit of a, an alliance with a, with a, with a university, but I, I haven't seen anyone going back or okay. wanting to go back. So, And just on that, speaking of universities, you seem to have a real, um, even though it's a business, you seem to really want to give back to the university academic um, type space. I get yeah. that a lot when I speak to you. Where does that come from? Uh, it comes back from my, my own not knowing what was out there. So I was just um, surrounded by people just thinking, okay, and myself as well, so you're a PC, then a postdoc, then maybe a group leader, and then an assistant professor, social professor, I mean, and then professor. So there was nothing out there that really taught me there's something else. And when I moved into MSL role, I think when I spoke to people, no one had, the people I spoke to in academia never heard about the MSL role. Um, I did a lot of career transition days and talked to people. And I recently spoke at uh, UTS, was it, no, sorry, Sydney Uni, as soon at UTS. Um, if I now ask the, the room, who knows about the MSL role or who knows about clinical research associate, I mean, half the room will uh, raise their hand. So I, I think I, I like to help people understand this more than just the stock standard academic uh, steps you go from PhD, postdoc, group leader, professor, because it's unsustainable because you might have 100 PhD people, uh, PhD students, but only one professor. So 99% yeah, of, of them have to drop out somewhere. And, and my advice would be, maybe I'm, I'm jumping uh, jumping on too early, but <laughs> think about your exit early. Because once you need to exit um, late, uh, you have little choices. But if you start to think about early, about alternatives, which I didn't do. Uh, I did it late in my postdoc when I wasn't so happy anymore. It's better to prepare early because you can make can change things, you can do other things that prepare you for your exit, uh, rather than waiting until the end that your contract is finished in a month time and you have to jump in a, yeah. in a month. So um, yeah, so I, I, the reason I want to give back is really to help people understand there's a lot more you can do with your scientific degree. Um, 
than just being a scientist. And, and interestingly, I always thought staying in science helps me, because I like science, I thought I had a lot more exposure to science in academia. But when I moved into an MSL role, I probably read more papers, spoke more science, and had more interest in science than I was a scientist. Because as a scientist, you yes, you talk science, you do science, but you're probably more doing research. Yeah. You're analyzing experiments, you're doing, you're filling your tips, your boxes, you're you're analyzing your all your data for for hours and hours on end. So the actual science you do, you're discussing the science science is a lot less. So moving into the MSL role. Um, all the talking science I felt much more embraced by the science. Oh, so. well, I'd like that bit. I like talking about science. <laughs> yeah, so maybe the MSL job is for you. So my next question, I think you've probably already answered it, um, was um, looking back, what advice um, could you give to other people in roles? But it, it seems like the advice would be think about sort of other options yeah. early on. Yeah, starting with, I mean, maybe to add to it, I, I always, I've always been involved in a lot of community work. Um, that helped me to, because so, the reason I say this is because sometimes we get CVs of people they have done research and nothing else than research. Yeah. So they might have five or 10 or 20 papers, they might have presented everywhere around the world. It's all nice, but it's it doesn't show anything else. It just shows pure science. And yes, you might be a good scientist, but how do I know from looking at your CV that you're also a good people person? Yeah. That you can work with a lot of other people. So you, you can initiate projects, your project management, uh, you have project management skills. So those things you have to have on your CV in order to become an MSL. So do those things, try to do charity work, but be involved in other things than just ba- your basic research. I think that's good advice for even anyway. not just an MSO role, because anyway. I think I have had that advice from um, some mentors and it's been really good advice just trying different things, because you don't know what you're going to like until you mm-hmm. do it. I had a lecturer at the uni now, and if someone had told me that I was going to enjoy teaching, I yeah. never would have believed them, but then I did it, yeah. and it's my favorite part of my job. So I think that's really yeah. good advice. Um, and just finally, um, is there, are there any other points that you wanted that you feel like you've missed? Any big messages you want to send to the world? He's thinking. Um, I'm just thinking. Yeah, one thing, one tip I can give, and that's what I, maybe it's an experience I had. If you don't like your job, just get out. So during my postdoc, I stayed. So it was a three and a half year postdoc. I probably stayed three and a half years too long. Um, from the start, I think it it wasn't great. But if you move across the whole world, you sold your all your stuff. You come with two bags. Um, and you start a project somewhere. And I'm, I'm a bit of a, not stubborn, I'm, I'm determined. Uh, I don't <laughs> give up. reframing. I, I don't give up quickly and I wanted to make it work. So, but in hindsight, I, looking back, I realized I should have quit earlier. It's not a, and I'm not a quitter, but sometimes it's better to just say, okay, I'm not quitting, I'm, I'm advancing in a different direction. Yeah. Um, and looking back, it was probably, would have been better. But also if I look back, probably because I didn't do that, I got to the really deep lows and therefore I did move and never wanted to go back. So it helped me kind of w- help me where I'm now. I don't want to go back to academia. So it, it helped shape me what I'm, where I'm at now. But um, next time if I, in, in my, next time when I'm in a job and I don't like it, um, my advice for anyone else, if you don't like it, find the exit straight away. Try yeah. to set everything in place that you can find another job. Don't quit and not having any salaries yeah. or any, any any job, but try to find the exit quickly and, and move. Yeah, so we have choices. Y- y- we you, all have choices. You, we all have choices, <laughs> and I think uh, unless you are being told to do what to do by someone else, I think you can choose yourself what to do. Yeah, fantastic. Um, yeah. And do you have any um, book recommendations for us? Anything that's inspired you or changed the way you've thought about the world? Um, maybe I not. I know so he does because he Googled it before we I'm started. I Googled it before, <laughs> so I just have to quickly look at the right. Uh, 
there's two books. One I really like that's about more about um, what's the word um, body language. And it was actually a very interesting book. So there's a lot of book about body language, and they say if you say this, if someone's doing this, they're lying. But I think you can't say that. But it's this book is about what everybody says or what everybody tells you. So it's not not everybody is one word, but everybody. Oh, okay. So your body language. It was written by a CIA agent who has done a lot of uh, interviewing cool. people. And but he tells you to look for things that. Um, if you're if someone gets stressed by a question, that's a stressor that that gives that people a, a certain stress and they do certain things. So by looking at a body language uh, of someone, you see what happens. Not that they're lying when they change their body language, but that what you just asked or did might have changed their stress level. So yeah. you then have to find out what was it that you asked that could have made them more stressful. So that's a really great book. And the other book I really enjoyed is The Emperor of All Melodies, a biography of cancer. I'm just looking off my uh, iPhone now. It was a uh, won a Pulitzer Prize in 2011. It's by a name that I can't pronounce, Siddhartha Mukherjee, I think. We can put it on the website. Yes, it's it's. A, I mean, I love my. I'm a scientist. I'm a bit of a nerdy scientist. I love immunology, oncology, and this is a bit the history how how onco- how oncology has been shaped from the the times of uh, the Greeks uh, all the way to the latest drugs uh, out there. And this is a um, a. What's the word? A registrar who wrote this book, so he was himself involved in, in treating patients, yeah. but also he gave a bit, of, a bit of history about how treatment has evolved from, from like mastectomy, um, double mastectomy from breast cancer, how to initially taking away more breast tissue increased survival on, up to a time that kind of you could take away everything, but if there's some distant metastasis somewhere else, you still will die. So he walked you through the whole history of, of, of oncology over the times how things have changed from surgery radiation chemotherapy to the latest targeted drugs and i think for definitely i think for msls who are interested or just people already in, in pharma or people who want to go into pharma it gives you a good overview of, of how things have moved over those hundreds and hundreds of years um, in history so Ooh, thank you and if people are interested in hearing more what's the website for your company uh com, and we'll put that on the website too yeah. And also, uh, Martijn is going to be speaking at the next Franklin Women event. Uh, so if you wanted to hear more from him, you could go to the Franklin Women website um, and look up the event. And I believe there's also going to be a competition with the next yes. event. Is that right? Yes. So there's a competition. So if, if you think you're uh, you're the right person to become an MSL, we, we are offering uh, several of our online training packages for free. So just go to the website of the Franklin Women uh, page uh, where there's two questions. Uh, remember correctly the first question is why do pharma need msl um, and the second question would be why would you be a good msl so if you put that um this question to the email address that you're gonna franklin women uh just google franklin women sorry i should know that off the top of my head but i don't <laughs> <laughs> i put you on the spot so if you, if you send it to them uh to that email address uh, on the day uh, we will um, tell who, who won those those packages so we have a few different packages uh but I won't elaborate too much on it, but on the day we will share that uh, uh, with the audience who, who won those packages. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Well, Meeting you has really um, challenged and made me think differently um, about science, and that's why I always enjoy um, you know, thinking about things differently. So thank you very much My for pleasure. joining us. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs>